Feel free to sit. Instead of opening your Bibles, don't open your Bibles yet. Um, And I want you to just think with me about the section we talked about last week and what you might expect to come next. That's why I don't want you to open your Bibles, because then you'll know exactly what comes next. So I'm going to read what we talked about last week, kind of summarize uh, briefly, and then have you just to think, what do you think would come next? So we're in Philippians chapter 2, but like I said, don't turn there, just listen and think with me. Beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So just to summarize briefly, we talked about last week, we talked about God having done a real work, and we're leaning into that, we're believing that our fullness comes from what he did, and that that is is where we're leaning for our fullness, and that's where what we're trying to live out, trying to work out. And we talked that about that it's a reality that we're trying to step into and believe, and we is true outside of us, or Jesus really did something. He really washed away our sins. He really made us new. He's really with us. He's really in us. He's really bringing us on. He's really working in our life. Uh, We really are His children. We really are seated with Him in heaven. And there's all these external things, and living that out, believing that. And we do that with fear and trembling. It's a high honor. It's not something um, we do lightly. We use illustration when you open your arms to your kids and you're a Christian and they run to you into your arms you are a picture to them of God you're living out what God is like to those kids but you're also doing it to the world around you and what a high calling to do with fear and trembling not not something to take lightly what a what an amazing thing that we're able to live that out for be lights in the world as it says just later on in this section so we're living out what Jesus did. We want to work it out in our lives, walk in it, and lean into it. Now, so he just got done saying this. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We talked about, again, not working at our salvation. We're working out our salvation, something that already happened. Now, the next thing he's going to say is a command. Okay, And so I want you to imagine what you think would come next. You work out this salvation that already happened. We're just coming out of uh, the Christ hymn where he's talking about Christ, laying down his life for others, have that mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What do you think he's going to say next? Here's the command. What would he say next? You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do all things what? Do all things blank. Right, (laughs) without grumbling, that's right. And if you want to open your Bibles here, let's finish out this section here. Philippians 2.14 through 18, we'll read it. Philippians 2, starting in verse 14. 
We'll go all the way to 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the other thing that we might think about is just where we're reading this. We're reading this out of the Word of God. This is God's Word. This is not my idea. I didn't decide, well, what should we talk about this week? I think this is a word for this week. We're just going through the section. And so if there's a command, how serious do we take it? Do we take it kind of serious? Do we take it as the very words of God to us? The same God who died for us came down like we just sang about. He left his father's throne to come down to us. And here we have a command. It's God's word. It's binding on us. It's surprising to me that this is what comes next. Do all things without grumbling. Now, just kind of a caveat on where we're going, just so you don't get worried. I'm really not going to cover the second thing, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'm not going to really cover that today because there's actually too much just to do in one message, so we're kind of going to split it up to next week a little bit, do part of it this week, part of it next week. That's without even touching disputing, really. But the reason we're not really going to touch that is we're going to come back to it again in chapter 4 when it comes up again. So that's one thing. The other thing that we're not going to talk about a ton is rejoicing, which also comes up at the end of this section. We're going to talk a little bit about it, but not a lot. Again, because it's going to come up again in chapter 4. And I'm thankful that the order is this way in Philippians because it starts out, do all things without grumbling. And later on in chapter 4, he's going to say, rejoice always. It's kind of two competing things. You can't do one and the other. You have to, one of them is positive, one of them is negative. You can't be doing them both at the same time. You can't be grumbling all the time and rejoicing all the time. It's kind of like if, I don't know, I don't have a great illustration, but it's kind of like if you want to run the mar- a marathon, the f- and the first, you know, your first step is something like stop smoking. You know, it's like you're not going to be able to run a marathon if you're not taking care of yourself at all. But you're still pretty far from running the marathon if you just stop smoking. And that's kind of what we're focusing on today. The marathon is kind of rejoice always. But the first step to that is we can't be rejoicing always if we're grumbling, right? And it's two competing things that we can't happen all the time. So we're just going to start with grumbling. And I'm thankful because if the command today was rejoice always, I think I would feel like, man, I feel like somebody told me, go out and run a marathon. I'd be like, man, I need, to, I need, to get, I need some baby steps <laughs> to get there. Um, and that's just kind of one of the baby steps to rejoicing always is to not grumble. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing I want you to notice about verse 14 
is notice that it's a command, which we already said, but notice that it's a command. It's a plural command. It's for all of us again, just like we talked about last week. We're all, as a body, this is something for everyone, for every Christian. Sometimes I think about it like people that we know, like our sister uh, Christina, who was happy all the time. It's like, here's these special Christians who are really good at some of these commands, and for the rest of us, you know, we're not so good at it. But the reality is this is a command for all of us. This is for everyone. This is as a body. We are not to be grumbling. We're actually, it says, to do all things. All things without grumbling. Well, that's, that's a far-reaching command. It's a command that touches every minute of our day, doesn't it? All things. Every piece of our life. You want to know what God's will for your life is today? Here's a verse. Uh, one thing you can know today, whatever you're doing, God wants you to do it without grumbling. So notice it's a command, but also notice it's a very serious command. Uh, if you had given me this with it whited out, I and I maybe I would have remembered the verse, maybe I wouldn't have, but let's just imagine it. You've got this section, and this part's whited out, and they said, what do you think is going to come in here? He talks about working out our salvation, and then right after it he says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among you, whom you shine as lights in the world. What a serious that there. Don't grumble. Why? That you'll be blameless and innocent and that you'll shine as lights in the world. I would have thought maybe he would say something about faith here, do all things in faith, or um, something about Jesus, lean on Jesus, abide in Jesus, I don't know, but he didn't, he said grumbling, he said do all things without grumbling, it's something really to think about that, you know, they had this, those commands in the Old Testament, and they kind of had them ranked, you know, and that was kind of one of the arguments, and just to ask ourselves, where do we do that, you know, do, is there things in our life where we're thinking, yeah, here's the big commands, this, this, and this, and if I get those, then, you know, I'm doing pretty good today, and that might be for Western Christianity, read your Bible, pray for a little bit, go to church on Sunday, you know, something like that. If I, if I did that, that's pretty good. The interesting thing is, Whenever we're going through Philippians, the things he really emphasizes as commands, I would just be shocked if somebody was really, really emphasizing those. It's so different, right? You, it, for me personally, ask yourself this. If you read your Bible, you prayed, and then there was some grumbling throughout the day about different things, you could, I could feel pretty good about my day. Whereas this is saying, this is so serious. This is that you might be a light in the world and that you might be blameless. He's emphasizing it. He's saying it's really important. Is it important to me? Right? I want to take my priorities from the Bible, right? Not just my own upbringing or culture. I want to take what God says is really serious. I want to take it serious. It's kind of something that we want to think about. And notice... Our culture, notice that our culture kind of accepts grumbling, yes. right? Our, and in, in some ways fosters it. 
Now, the story that I thought of to emphasize this, to highlight this in our culture, is the school lunchroom. In the school lunchroom, I guarantee you what you're going to be hearing a conversation about at the middle school, high school, even the elementary school, about how bad the food is. And, and the kids are going to be complaining. And they do it, and sometimes genuinely, and sometimes it's actually just to foster like companionship and conversation. It's just, I'm just going to complain, and it's like we have something, at least we're agreeing on something. And it's like a conversation starter, actually. And it's, and it's a socially acceptable conversation starter. And the interesting thing is, you might say, you know, well, I'm an adult. I'm not going to, you know, I don't do that. The teachers don't do that at the lunch table. We've learned, you know, better than that. That's silly to complain about the pudding. Well, that's true. We have learned. We've learned to be more subtle about it and hide it a little bit better. But teachers basically do the same thing, and they just add a deeper layer to it. They don't just complain about the food. They complain about, you know, the, the uh, I think it's the Michelle Obama Healthy Kids Act or something like that, where they had changed all the rules and what you can and can't do with the food. And so they do the exact same thing. They complain about the food, but they hide it under, well, politics. Like, yeah, I'm, really what I'm complaining about is politics, the president, you know. Um, and so it's the exact same thing with a more mature slant on it. And just the way the kids laugh, ha-ha, yeah, the pudding's terrible. This is horrible. The teachers laugh, ha-ha, yeah, Michelle Obama doesn't know what she's doing. Uh, these kids aren't, you know, these kids need this and that. And so... It's socially acceptable, and we have to fight against it. And really, for me, one thing I just wanted to pray after reading this is, God, please help me not to complain just to start a conversation. Help me not to do it when I'm just entering into, you know, quote-unquote, some social norms. Help me not to do that. Help me not to be like that. And it's, for us as Christians, it's easier to do it when it's about people. So if you're at your workplace, when people come to you, they shouldn't feel comfortable complaining about other people, you know, um, complaining about the boss or whatever, things like that. And I think that's normal for a Christian. You know, you, you shut that down and you say, no, I don't think we should talk about that. You know, if you have a concern, you go right to that person. And we might want to consider... Should that be expanded? Should it be more than that? What about paid time off or some of these other things that, you know, whatever it is in our workplace, have we began to grumble and just kind of enter in in terms of camaraderie? Yeah, the, you know, the, a lot of times it's the boss. We don't want to be like that. So we want to notice that our culture kind of leans towards that. So we, it's a command, it's a serious command, something to take seriously. And then what else? Well, we want our conscience to be awakened. If this is a command, it's binding on us. It's a sin, right, to grumble throughout our day about things that God has put in our path. And so if it's a sin, we just want our conscience awakened so that as we go through our day, we say something that there's a prick in our conscience. Wait, was that grumbling? Was I grumbling there? Was that actually a prayer request or was that me grumbling? Was that me sharing how I'm doing or was there some grumbling in that? And I thought about trying to kind of parse that out or whatever. And I don't know that I can, period. I don't know that I understand it all. But I do know that for every Christian, God has given you a conscience, right? And so your conscience can tell you, was that grumbling or was that not grumbling? 
And God's given you his spirit to give you wisdom on that. It's not easy. There's things where you do. You tell your wife when you come home hard things about your day. How do you do that without grumbling? The spirit and your conscience will help you. There's a way to do it. We know it's possible. So we lean into that. But we want our conscience awakened about this. And I just ask forgiveness. I just prayed for bearing this. God, just forgive me for grumbling about things and any negative emphasis that I've that I've had about day to day day to day life. And then let's ask ourselves this question: Why? Why did God command this? Why did He put this in here? And why did He put it in such a serious light? And the reason he did, I think, one of the reasons he did, and we can talk about more, but one of the reasons is when we complain, we're communicating something about God. And that's a really big deal. We're subtly communicating something about God. I just want to remind you of a statement that we talked about, I don't know how many weeks ago, quite a few weeks ago, but the statement was that uh, kind of a summary of Philippians, one pastor said, was that, In all our blessing, Jesus is better, and in all our suffering, Jesus is enough. That was his summary of Philippians. In all our blessing, Jesus is better, and all our suffering, Jesus is enough. When we complain, we're we're not communicating that. We're communicating that all this blessing we have is good, but here's some things that are missing, and so that's taking away my contentment. This flat tire, this tool that I lost delay in my day, hiccup at work, whatever it is that we're communicating, Jesus is really good, maybe. But this right here, this little thing can rob me of my joy, can rob me of my contentment, is worth even talking to people about rather than talking about the blessings, Jesus, what he's done for us, that he's not really enough. And that's serious. Think about that in light of the whole letter of Philippians and Paul's example here. Paul's in jail, right? And it's not like our jail. He does not have a TV. He is not eating bologna sandwiches. We don't know what he's eating. He may very well be in the stocks, which would be very painful. You know, I think I shared this before, but they would even bind people up to where... They were in uncomfortable positions and their muscles would cramp. It would be like torture, basically. And so it's not just like him chained to the wall. It might be him chained up all uncomfortably and he's having muscle cramps and he can't move and he can't sleep. But when you read Philippians, you don't feel a, a grumbling, do you? It does, you come across this rejoicing. He's rejoicing in the Philippians. He's telling God how much he praises God for them. He's rejoicing in Christ and what he did. He's rejoicing in so many different things that we haven't got to yet, but he's rejoicing, you know, that all this stuff that he once had, that it's gone now, and now he's got Jesus. He's not worried about his religious performance anymore. He's he's got all this joy. He talks about rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. He lives it out, and he doesn't really grumble. There's all this difficulty. It comes through. The difficulty comes through. He talks about those who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, thinking to afflict him. That's a hard situation. But when he talks about it, he doesn't talk about it in a way that comes across as grumbling. He says, 
but I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed at all. It's just the opposite. It's not grumbling. He's, he's leaning into what God's doing. He's seeing the good, and he's saying, and I'm rejoicing in God, what he's doing here, even though this situation is hard. So grumbling, we can see from Paul's example, is possible in the hardest situations. We can see that it's not, not, it's not ignoring all these difficult things, right? Because he's, he's not only acknowledging that they're there, he's acknowledging that they're hard, and he's even sharing about them. And yet, he's doing it in a way that's not grumbling. And he's doing it in a way that highlights how good God is. Well, praise the Lord for Paul's example. Paul talks about Jesus here. Jesus is a great example, too, with this Christ him. He's laying down his glory. He's laying down, we just sang about it, uh, all this comfort. Who could have had more comfort than God sitting at the right hand of the Father? He laid all of it down to take on a comfortable life. No, to take on a very difficult life of rejection, suffering, and death. But we don't get grumbling. We don't get grumbling from Jesus. It's really, it's really an amazing thing. All that the Pharisees did and Jesus didn't say, I can't believe how they, how they did this or did that or said this or said that. We don't get a sense of that from Jesus. So this whole uh, summary of this, what we're talking about is that I'm going to give it in our, our four points one more time. It's a command. It's a serious command that should affect our conscience. And the reason it's so serious is because in grumbling we're communicating the goodness and sufficiency of God or not. Now, how do we take baby steps in this direction? Because for me, it's a problem. Like I, I mowed the yard earlier this week. This is kind of a small thing, but it's... It says all things, you know. So it, I've got to take it seriously. Mow the yard, and it rains. And I and my response is, now the, now the grass is going to grow. I just got done mowing, and now the grass is going to grow. I'm going to have to mow again. Which is silly in one way, but in another way, um, it's not. Um, we had actually had company at that time, and the person said, or you could say, good thing you just got done mowing because it just started to rain. At least I got it done in time. And that's, that would have been a better way to think about it and a more Christ-honoring way to think about it. Why would I let it raining on my grass rob me of joy, you know, in Christ? And what am I communicating to my house guests, right? It's like, here's these books about God on the wall, and then I don't have joy in God. I'm upset that it's raining on my grass. That's silly, and it's totally losing perspective. But that's my tendency, and I read these verses. Praise the Lord, this is the next section, because I need to see that. I need to be called out on it. And notice the plural here. I need you to call me out, right? And we need to call one another out. And if you have a wife, and this is your tendency, for me, I don't know that I would, maybe I do do it more here than I realize. I think I probably do it more at home. But just ask my wife. If you hear me being negative, grumbling, I need your help. Would you point it out to me? I want to be a light shining in the world. I want to shine as light in the world. And this is a problem in my life. Would you please point it out to me, pray for me, and help me? So what are the baby steps for us towards this? Well, if, if, this, if the sin is grumbling, what's the very least we could do? I want you to look at Psalm 39.9. This is really helpful to me this this particular verse Psalm 39 9 
This might be different in the NAS. I might have to ask somebody what it says. Thirty-nine nine. I am mute or silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. It's the same. Exactly the same. Well, Very close. Okay. I like the word silent there, so I'm going to say that. I am silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. That's the very basic we could do. You feel that sense of grumbling in your heart, or you're discontent with whatever's going on. The very least we could do is just close our mouth. Just be silent. Just not say it. And that's the first real step. I mean, look here at this verse. This is David. Pretty sure, yeah, uh, yes, David. And he's just saying, I'm silent. Silence. The same in Psalm 73:15. he says, he's talking about all these difficult things he sees. He's seeing the wicked prosper, and he was complaining to God. The wicked are prospering. Look at all this bad stuff happening. And he said, if I spoke thus, I would have betrayed my generation. So what he's saying is, I've got all these thoughts in my heart, all this difficulty. I see all these things going on, and they bother me so much. And this is what I'm thinking, God, how could you do this? And he said, if I would have said that, that would have been a sin, right? That I would have betrayed my generation. That would have been wrong and also harmful to the people around me. So he's silent. And yet, all those complaining, all that complaining, makes it into the Bible. Think about that. He's feeling it all in his heart. He has all these thoughts and questions and difficulties and he's discontent with how it is. He doesn't understand it. He's wrestling with it. But he's silent. And he says, I'm really glad, basically, paraphrased, I'm really glad I was silent because if I had said that, that would have been a sin. So that's the first thing we could do, just be silent. I'm really thankful for this verse, don't grumble, because it's like you start by just feeling this grumbling in your heart and you just close your mouth. And you feel like, at least for me, I'm, all, I'm like, that's my first step on the marathon of rejoicing always. You know, at least, I, at least I close my mouth on that one. You know, I didn't rejoice always, but I didn't grumble this time. Praise the Lord. That's a big step. And as we do that, as we close our mouth, we can, we can actually think, right? I mean, you're not grumbling, you're not pouring it out, you're not hurting others around you by grumbling. You've got time to think. You just had the thought, your conscience pricked you, don't say that, you close your mouth, and then what comes in your mind? Well, what we want it to be, what you and I, what I want it to be, what I want it to be for you, is a verse, maybe this verse. Let's, let's, I think you could memorize this verse, we could all do it together right now. I am silent, I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Three, three different phrases. I'm silent, I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. So first, silence. Second, realize God puts you here. Wherever I'm at, what I was about to grumble about, God's the one that put me here. I'm going to be silent because God, you put me here. This is a hard situation. You put me in it. So I'm going to keep quiet because you are the one who wants me here. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan. You're doing something in my life. You're doing something to to glorify yourself. You're doing something to change me. You've got a good purpose. I know you do, God. And I'm going to close my mouth because I don't see it right now. We could just wait until we get to the place where we can rejoice in that thing, right? There may be a point where you close your mouth, I don't understand why this is good, 
Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, maybe it's 20 years later, you see, wow, I can rejoice in that now, and this is the good thing that God was doing. And maybe it's eternity before you see it. But one day, you may be so glad you closed your mouth because the only thing maybe you can say that was good about this is down the road, and you can rejoice. But we didn't grumble. Realize that God put us here. God put us here. And really, the Bible... Andy read it this morning in Psalm 34. He who seeks the Lord lacks no good thing. Or was it those who fear the Lord lack no good thing? There's two verses. I can't remember which one's in Psalm 34. But either way, we're going to lack, as Christians, no good thing. You get something you feel like grumbling about, it, that's a good thing. It's not good to grumble about good things. It's, that's wrong. It's complain about good things somebody's giving you. That's wrong. But whatever it is that I or you feel like grumbling about, that's a good gift that you don't see how it's good yet. You know, there's gifts as kids. I remember getting clothes and books and thinking, I wanted Legos, you know. But as an adult, you know, you see, wow, I'm really glad I didn't get Legos for every, you know, gift that I got some books that later on down the line I was thankful. And I read them and they were much better to me than, you know, as good as Legos are, you know, they were better and more useful to me. You know, things that affected my life in a bigger way. Um, although I do have some Legos still that we play with. So those were also good. Not complaining about Legos. But there's things that you get as an immature child, you don't realize how good they are. Um, I'm glad I got socks and I had socks to wear. I'm glad I got shoes, even though at the time I didn't, I didn't really want to get those things for my birthday. That's what God's doing for you. God's metaphorically, you know, imagine today, let's say somebody in the church is driving out of the parking lot, you're standing, and they said, oh, hey, I forgot, I brought something for you, and they throw it out the window, and you grab it, and it is super heavy, and yanks you to the ground, and you're like, why did you throw that? And you feel like, man, did they rip my shoulder out of my socket? What in the world? And you start to feel like you're grumbling, and then you open the bag, and it's full of gold. The more that hurt, the better it was, right? (laughs) And that's how God is. That's exactly how God is. You've got this thing. He's throwing it out the window to you. You're grabbing it, and you think, oh, this is going to be a blessing or something good. And then all this pain. But years down the line, it may be, like I said, eternity, but you're going to say, yeah, that hurt, but... He, that was that was gold. That was all gold. And it was it was it was for my good. So we first step silence. Second step, realize God put us here. It's you that did it. God, you did it. You did it. And I'm going to trust you in it. And then the third step, pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. The thing that really helped me in this is if you think about it, we don't have time. I don't want to take up too much time because I've got a little bit more here. But just read Psalm 39. And just be shocked. Like this is, if I prayed like this, if I prayed like Psalm 39 this morning to open the meeting, I cannot imagine what people would say. Imagine if I ended my prayer, God, would you just turn your face away from me so I can die cheerful? Amen. That's how he ends Psalm 39. Somebody would come up to me and be like, How dare you say that? <laughs> like, that's wrong. That's how he ends Psalm 39. He's got all these big emotions. This is, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, talking to you like I talk to Joy. I, we, t- we say Joy. It's okay to have big emotions. It's not okay to act on them. 
That's how we talk about it. It's okay to have these big feelings. You just can't, you know, bite mom or, or whatever. And that's how it is with God. We can have all these big feelings. Things come into your life. It's right to feel outraged. It's right to feel, you know, how, how could somebody do this? Or how could this happen? This is wrong. This is, this is so difficult. And it's right. I mean, there's, there are things. Sin in the world, we should feel. This isn't right. This is wrong. This is difficult. It shouldn't be like this. Well, you're, it shouldn't be. We're, we're longing for the new creation. But then what do we do with that? You've got this big emotion. How do you express it? Well, we know one option is off the table, grumbling. No grumbling. No more grumbling from me or for you, from anybody. And if we do, we repent. God, I'm sorry that I grumbled. That was wrong. I don't know what you're doing, and I don't want to complain about some good thing you're doing. Would you help me to be silent next time, Lord? But what do we do with all those big emotions? Well, Tim Keller is a pastor. He, he said something really insightful. He said, the world has kind of two big broad brushstrokes for emotions, how to deal with emotions. And the first is give full vent to your emotions. Whatever your emotions are, that's who you are. You feel this, that's who you are. You run after it. You want this, go for it. You hate this, say it. You know, whatever it is, give full vent to those emotions. Your emotions are who you are. You're in a difficult marriage. You feel like you can't stick it out. That's not you. Get out of there. You know, just do whatever feels good for you. Whatever your emotions tell you. If you say you can't stick it out, then don't leave. That's who you are. Get out of there. Uh, that's kind of the world's one of the world's views on emotions. Is just if you if this is how you feel, that's who you are. That's your deepest identity. Go for it. And that's wrong. Uh, that's not a good view on emotions. On the other side, there's another view, which is just almost the opposite. Which is you've got these emotions. They bubble up. Just push them down. Suppress them. You know. Don't do anything, you know, don't act on them. You want to do this, don't do it. You know, you feel this way, don't express it. You know, and it's just the opposite. And kind of, uh, if you were a school teacher, you would call it, um, oh, the word slips my mind, invalidating, invalidating the emotions. It's like, you feel sad, you know, Timmy, well, nothing really happened. You know, that, that you shouldn't feel sad. That's not a valid emotion. Just stop feeling that. So those are the two views, and, and both of them are wrong. Um, both of them are wrong. But the Bible gives us a third way that's totally different than both. And I think would be difficult for wherever you're at. If you're the full vent emotion person, or you're the suppressed emotion person, either end of the spectrum, wherever you came from, or whatever kind of household you came from, the third way, the biblical way, is better, and it's harder for... Uh, for everyone, I think. And it is this. Your emotions are not who you are. And you shouldn't act on your emotions, whatever they are. It's not something, if you feel it, it's right, do it. That's not true. Uh, so it contradicts that side. On the other side, it contradicts the suppress your emotions because it says, give full vent to your emotions in the right direction. So, what, what do you do? And how do we do this? Well, the Psalms are a great example. Here comes this difficult situation, and you are just on the inside, you know, boiling. What should we do? We shouldn't just full vent our emotions, tell everyone how horrible we were treated or whatever, and how, you know, how could so-and-so do this? We don't do that. But we also don't just suppress it, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. We acknowledge it, and we pour it all out where? We give full vent in the right direction, which is to God. 
We tell God, God, I'm struggling with this. This is how I feel. I feel like this. I feel like this. And you can tell God exactly what you're thinking because the psalmist did it in a way that seems like surely this should not be in the Bible. And yet it is. He's pouring it out to God and God's pleased. God's glad. He's pouring out his emotions. He's glad he's not doing, he's not acting on them and doing whatever he feels. He's also glad he's not just suppressing them because he's giving them to God and God is able to deal in his life and work in his life and he's, and he's leaning right where he should be leaning, which is on God. And that's the third way that we need to do. Not, we aren't our emotions. We aren't going to suppress our emotions. We're going to give full vent, but we're not going to be, do it in grumbling. We're going to do it to God. We're going to give it to God. This is how I'm feeling, God. Help me. Is this right? Am I feeling rightly? Am I feeling wrongly? God, here's how I'm feeling. Help me. Help me, help me, help me. And that's what we need. And that's difficult for both sides. If you come, you know... I'm guessing a lot of us are in a, a more, we're kind of a more reserved church. We're not dancing, you know, during the singing and shouting amen and things like that. A lot of us probably are on the reserved side. You're going to find it difficult to actually be thorough with God and honest with God in your prayers. You're going to be dealing up here and you're going to kind of be pushing those down. And you're not going to be really saying, like David, I'm so angry, I, I'd like to do this. We'd never say that to God, right? It's like, oh no, that's wrong. That's a, that's a bad, that's a wrong feeling. Well, if you feel it, you can just push it down, or you could actually give it to God and have have Him help de- help you deal with it. And we don't we don't want to do we don't want to do that if that's our tendencies. Just push it down, kind of be put under the surface. Just keep it all like everything's okay. Um, and so this is the third way. We give full vent to our emotions. We don't. Act on whatever they are, but we give full vent in the right direction, which is to God. And that's not grumbling. God is happy when we come to him, and he's pleased when we pour out our heart to God. Even Job said some pretty terrible things in his you know, difficult trial that seem like, wow, that is a pretty bold thing to say. You know? And then God comes and he said, my servant Job spoke rightly of me, and you guys didn't. And so we, we want... We want to be like this. We want to not grumble. We want to be silent, realize God put us here, and then pour out our heart to God. You can tell God all how hard it is. Just tell him exactly how you feel. If you feel like somebody pushed you in a glass wall and is beating you with a baseball bat, tell God that. Say, God, I feel like I was emotionally just pushed through a glass wall. Just help me. I feel ripped up on the inside. And how do we apply this then? Let's close this out by we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but I realize I couldn't talk about all my points. I'm trying to give it more, although I've said a lot, I'm trying to give it more in a bite-sized form that we can maybe digest it a little bit better. I know that I have a tendency to be kind of a fire hydrant type. Just like, here's all this stuff. You know, Open your mouth if you can get a little bit of the water in. That's good. I'm trying to get better at that. So, um, And more organized. So, Let's end by applying this. I'll apply it with a story, and then we'll just talk about our own personal lives. But the story is actually from a guy named Paul Miller who wrote a book called The Praying Life, which is a helpful book. He tells the story. He has a tax business. Paul Miller does. And so he's preparing people's taxes. He owns the business. So what happened was he came in, and they had an appointment, and his computer was full. And so... He realized, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to do this taxes. I need more memory on my computer. I'm going to delete this old program, and, and then I'll have plenty of room. 
and it said, do you want to delete all shared files? Should he click yes or no? I don't know. I wouldn't have known. I'm sure some of you guys, IT guys, know. But he clicked yes, delete all shared files, and his computer went blue and crashed. Um, so he has no computer, which he needs to do this person's taxes, uh, which is bad if you're a business owner. So this lady comes in. Her appointment's at 1130. So she comes in. She sits down. The computer's totally crashed. And he tells the receptionist, tell her um, we'll be with you in a minute. And he walks out at noon. He leaves the office. They're already 30 minutes late for this appointment. And he sees her sitting there. She's sitting there silently. And he walks out past her at noon. They're already 30 minutes late. And he's driving to get a backup. So he knows it's not going to be anytime soon. He comes back in at 1. They're an hour and a half late. And she's still sitting there. So he's already an hour and a half late, and he hasn't even rebooted the computer yet. He just comes in with a, with a backup. He gets to work, and eventually, at 3 o'clock, they are ready to call her back. So the appointment was supposed to be at 11.30, and it is three and a half hours late. And they haven't even started their appointment yet. They're just getting into it. And, you, and he t- brings out that this is not like Kirksville. This is Philadelphia. So the lady got up early, got on a bus, found her bus stop, you know, got on the bus, made her connecting bus stops, finally got there at 11.30. So she probably started her day just like a normal day. And by 3 o'clock, she's just now getting into the appointment. And she's calm and patient, and they get, get her taxes done, and it's so late that he feels bad, and he offers to drive this lady home because she took the bus, and it's going to take her however long, another hour or something, minutes to get back home after they already made her wait so long. And he hears from the receptionist, she did not complain, and she didn't ask any questions. She just sat there for three and a half hours, just calm. And so this guy's a Christian, and he's been grumbling all day long, upset, unbelieving, he's, he's upset. And he said that he wanted to be witnessed to. That's what he said. And so he asked her this question. Does Jesus make a difference in your life? He just assumes this lady must know Jesus. She just sat here for three and a half hours and did not say anything. She didn't even seem mad at us. And she said this back. Jesus is everything to me. I talk to him all the time. And he basically just said, I've been running around like crazy, not acting like Jesus at all. And then here's this picture of Jesus sitting in my office all day long and I'm frantic. Um, And he was just blown away. And it affected him. It changed his life. I mean, he wrote it down. Um, he realized something was wrong. What an, a picture of being a light in the world. I mean, he, this lady was a light to this guy um, and helped change his life. He was a Christian at the time, but she was still a light. This is what God is like. This is the way God should be. And it only took three and a half hours of sitting there. I mean, we sit for three and a half hours Every evening after work, don't we, on the couch, you know, talking to her wife or whatever, read a book. And she sat there, and it really made an impact. She was a light in the world. And that's an encouragement, but also a challenge. Because I, I wouldn't have acted like that. You know, that's not my tendency. And, but it's what I want to be. I want to be like that. I want to be more patient, more resting in Christ, more resting on what he's done, what he's doing, who he is, and just say, 
Just Psalm 39.9. I am silent. I will not open my mouth. For it's you who've done it. And so let's pray about it just this week. And we'll talk about it again next week. But this week, just think about, think about it. Pray about it. Confess any grumbling. Pray for me that I wouldn't be a grumbler. Uh, you know, pray about how in the future, maybe if you, if you catch me grumbling, tell me, please, you know, and, and be a help to me in that way. And this is, this is the verse for today. So let's be lights in the world this week. Let's ask God to help us. And we can rest in him, for he is the one who is working in us. So we can work out this salvation that he worked in us with fear and trembling. Let's pray together. God, just thank you for this time, this verse today. Would you make it real in our hearts? We want to honor you and how we act. We don't want to just say you're enough. We want to live like you're enough. We need help. Forgive us, God, for grumbling. Please forgive us. Would you make us a church free from grumbling? Would you help us to be accountable to one another, to our spouses, to our friends? And we need help, and we need your help. Would you help us also, Lord? Maybe there's somebody here who needs to give full vent to their emotions to you in prayer, and they're bottling it up. I would just pray that you would help them to pray like the psalmist and that you would hear them and help them, whatever's going on. I pray you'd help that. Help us to be more like that. We need you today, God. We need your help in every way. We want to honor you. We lift all these things up to you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Yeah. Um, I was thinking as you were uh, sharing there, and I know you, you brought this out some, but um, just the idea that all of our grumbling is ultimately against the Lord. And oftentimes, you know, we're grumbling against our boss or situations or parents or whatever, but ultimately, it's always directed towards the Lord. And in Exodus 16, uh, when the children of Israel are complaining about not having uh, man or meat to eat. In uh, Exodus 16, 2, it said, The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. But then you read on further, and Moses responds to the children of Israel and says, The Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And then he goes on and says, And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us but against the Lord. And just how he, you know, basically rebukes him right there. You're not ultimately grumbling against us as your leaders. You're grumbling against the Lord. And it, it's a good reminder to all of us whenever we're in difficult situations that ultimately the grumbling, the great sin in grumbling is that we're grumbling against the Lord. That's really good. Yeah, there's always too much to share. Even that the, that word in the passage, crooked and twisted generation, the commentators say that's referring back to this passage in Deuteronomy 32 about grumbling. And so it's like, exactly, it's like this Old Testament, It's it's been a problem for a long time. <laughs> and he's even kind of referring to it there, but that's great. Well, I think that's all we have, so we can be dismissed and a fellowship outside, and even though it's hot if you're able.